0: 5,
1: 4, 3, 2, 1. Welcome to Out of Left Field with Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. For the next hour, it's all college football. And it's brought to you by Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. Country Police and Sausage. And Cannon Ford of Starkville. Nobody beats a
2: Cannon deal. Nobody. And now... Here are your hosts, Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. And welcome to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield, and we're presented by Farm Bureau. Go with the home team, Farm Bureau. They have agents in every county in the state of Mississippi. Hey, the best thing to do is get the app, that Farm Bureau app, and you can pay your bill there. You can file a claim. You can look for an agent. I was thinking about the other day, I was driving back through Philadelphia, Mississippi, and thought about old Michael Vick, the agency manager down there. He's got a great team. Drew Davis, Alan Johnson, Burt Jones. I've, I've done a, I've known Burt my entire life. Burt Jones, he's from Nantamoy, William. great guy. And then Ben McDade, big bulldog guy. He lives over in DeKalb, but I mean, he he uh, is a great agent in Philadelphia. And so, if you're around the Philadelphia area, no doubt the best place for your insurance is at Farm Bureau in Neshoba County and all the counties in the state of Mississippi. And so, Charlie, we had the off week last week. Now we get ready for the Auburn Tigers. And, uh tell you what Charlie it's amazing and we talk about it every week about how this game is kind of bounced back and forth between the win column the loss column and then the toss-up column
3: yeah isn't it interesting we look at Auburn and we say hey we're gonna beat them to wow they're pretty good to boy they're terrible I think if you go over to Auburn and you take a public opinion poll they may be less confident in this ball game than Mississippi State fans their media is not
2: I think all their media guys picked Auburn to beat State this week in their predictions but thought it was going to be a close game. Here's the thing I've got about Auburn is you wonder what kind of mindset they're going into this thing with. I mean, yeah, we played Ole Miss and, you know, had the week off. You got beat by your rival. But Mississippi State and and its fans are kind of upbeat because you're beginning to see this team grow a little bit. You're beginning to see this team kind of turn and, and they're playing hard over the last two games. I don't know if you can say that about Auburn. They had a loss against Alabama. You wondered how they would bounce back. They did well in the first half, but they were playing against a top-five team at home. And Auburn has been a good team at home this year. They have not been very good on the road. So you kind of wonder what the mindset for the Tigers will be coming into Saturday night.
3: Well, it's interesting, too, because I'm still trying to figure out where, where to put Texas A&M. I don't know how good of a win that was for A&M. I don't know how bad of a loss it was for Auburn. I do know this, Auburn had a chance to pick off a pass at the end of the game that hits a defender in the hands. If that's caught, then all of a sudden maybe we're talking about an upset, but instead you're talking about a team, two straight losses coming in, and you wonder just kind of where they are right now.
2: Got a good show today. We're going to talk to Andy Burcham, the voice of the Auburn Tigers. Andy's a longtime friend of ours. Our paths crossed a lot in women's basketball over the years and in baseball over the years, and... Here's the thing about it, Charlie, in our industry, in the radio broadcasting or the television broadcasting industry, a lot of times you run into some guys that have egos. I hate to say this, but you run into some guys who are just not pleasant and they love to feed their ego. You have some guys who everyone thinks are tremendous people, but turn out to be very, very conceited, humble people. And I will not mention by names, anyone. And then you have good guys. Andy Burcham is one of the good guys. And, of course, you hate to see the way he acquired that job at Auburn with the loss of Rod Bramlett. But uh, Andy's been around
3: that program for a long time, and he does a great job over at Auburn. Andy's one of the guys who knows everybody, and it doesn't matter whether you're working stats or what you're doing. He comes in, he calls you by name. He listens to other broadcasts and will give you reaction to your broadcast. He is one of my favorite people in broadcasting, now that's a fairly short list of people in broadcasting who I have positive <laughs> views of. But he is he is certainly on that side of the ledger.
2: You didn't say anything when I referred to a lot of people as, as kind of arrogant in our business. Am I wrong on that? Or am I right on that?
3: No, you're absolutely right. But I was just hoping to leave uh, Tim Tebow out of this.
2: What category do you put me in? Pass. Okay. What category do you put Crowder in? Pass. What category do you put? Oh, y- no, no. I don't I, know.
3: I'm passing.
2: Okay, all I'm right. Passing. I'm just I'm just asking the question. I'm not
3: calling anybody by name.
2: Okay, all right. Also in Matt the show. Matt Wyatt's a good guy. Thanks. Appreciate that. See where, I thought you were going to pass on everybody. Hey, today's Matt's birthday. Did you know that?
3: I did not know that. And
2: Jack Crystal would have turned 95 today. Jack Crystal and Matt Wyatt shared the same birthday. And I think that offended Jack. <laughs> I don't know. He never told me that. He never alluded to that. But just knowing Matt and knowing Jack, that would probably offend Jack. No, they all had a great relationship. We always had a great relationship with everybody. And uh man, I'm I miss that old guy. <laughs> I tell you what, he w- he was funny in his older years. I mean, but he was who, he was something else. But later in the show, we'll talk to Ian Rappaport, who is with the NFL Network and it's still mind-blowing to me because he's so good. I hate to I hate to say this in any negative way whatsoever. Ian is so good, but it's still hard to fathom that that's one of the guys just a guy who's a good dude is one of the voices of the nfl network and one of the guys who gets all the scoop from everybody in the nfl
3: and was able to get rid of the stain of his time with the Clarion ledger is that what you wanted to say <laughs> that's exactly what i was trying to say he outlived it yeah no ian is a guy if you remember you know, we actually went through a string of really good beat writers for a time there and ian Rappaport, very good and The thing that makes it even more interesting when you start talking about the job he did here, he didn't have a team that was any fun to cover. You know, he he ends up going over to Birmingham. He covers Alabama. Well, there's a team that's worth covering as Saban's coming in. Then he goes up to New England and Boston and is covering Bill Belichick. Well, there's a team that's fun to cover. But when you can write about a bad product, and let's face it, that's what we had in the years he was in Starville, and do a good job and be remembered fondly. I think that says something, one, about the intelligence you have in terms of picking your stories and knowing when to press and when not to, and beyond that, just the ability to be a a good communicator.
2: Looking back, when I first got here, and not to take this on too bad of a rabbit trail, when I first got here to State in 2000, Sekou Smith was the beat writer. Sekou still writes in the NBA, phenomenal person great guy great writer and I, I remember just the relationship that he had with a lot of the players and you have to have trust with with newspaper guys and then you had ian well then you had todd kelly you had Ty, nothing better than a todd kelly jackie Sherrill press conference because they would just go back and forth with each other and then you had ian count come in okay and then we're like, okay. Let's see how this New York guy does. He's wearing his Mets hat all the time, and you're wondering how this guy's going to be. And he he was very good, well-respected. And then back in
3: those days – And he wasn't condescending. Let me say that. You know, a lot of times you get guys who have their degrees from Columbia or what have you, and they come down and they just – they have a little bit of an air to them. Ian never brought that.
2: None whatsoever. And then after Ian, you had Kyle Veazey. I thought Kyle was a great writer. And I reminded Kyle just about every week, and I, I think I sent him a, a text message not long ago, hey, Ian would have done it different. And it used to drive him crazy because we always said, man, hey, listen, here's how here's how Ian did it now. <laughs> and it would drive Veazey crazy. But but Veazey was, was good as well. Veazey was solid. Will Salmon was really good.
3: Yes, Really Will, good guy.
2: Will Salmon was good. He's Is he still with The Athletic? I think so. Okay. So, I mean, you used to have some guys come through here with a clarion ledger that were really, really good. And so that was kind of back when print media was, was relevant a little bit.
3: Well, just think about how much our life has changed, right? You woke up on Sunday morning after a win. The first thing you wanted to do was run out and pick up the paper. And now it's you get your info from the Internet and Twitter and things like that. It's The world's just changed.
2: I shouldn't throw all print media in there because I still pick up the Winston County Journal. I'll still get get the Startwell Daily every now and then, the Neshoba the Democrat, you know, the Madison County Journal. Sometimes you you know, you get those small town papers that still talk about Aunt Bertha going to see, you know, cousin Christie, looking back at those old articles, man, they were awesome to read. So That's what we've got on tap for the show today. We've got uh, Andy Burcham coming up next, then Ian Rappaport. We'll talk about the Mississippi State guys in the NFL. Charlie, we can run on a pretty good roster of guys we've got in the NFL right now.
3: Yeah, all of a sudden you look out there, and it's hard to think of a team that's had more success getting defensive linemen into the NFL and not only getting there but making a lot of money than Mississippi State has. And we somewhat think it's new, but it look, this has been going for a while. Remember, when Tommy Kelly got the biggest deal that a defensive tackle had ever got. I'm gonna blow that guy up, <laughs> in a nice way to putting it. And so, you know, you don't know this story. Played a long time. It sounds like it's probably one for all fair. Yeah, it's all fair. <laughs> yes. it's, oh, that wasn't one. gonna bite. <laughs> Good. Now you look around. You got Jeff Simmons and Monte Sweat. You could just go on and on. Big time, big names. Chris Jones, Fletcher Cox. I mean. It's phenomenal.
2: Can I ask him about Dak's contract?
3: I think you have to.
2: Okay. I may let you do it since you're the Cowboys fan. There's a lot of Cowboys fans around the state of Mississippi right now, but and I'm one of those guys who kind of grew into the Cowboys with Dak. But anyway, we'll talk to uh, Andy Burcham and Ian Rappaport in the show. Good show for you. And then later in the show, we'll break down Mississippi State's matchup with the Auburn Tigers. Once again, our show brought to you by our friends at Farm Bureau. Go with a home team. Check them out at favorites.com. And so you're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. And our guest line segment brought to you by our friends at Cannon Ford of Startville. Cannon Ford located right on Highway 182 on the eastern side of town right there on the bypass. And Cannon Ford, you can't miss it. Great customer service. If you're in the market for a new or used car, check them out. Call Chris Keen and the gang. You know, it's crazy. Charlie, I've had four people in the last two days. Say, hey, I need Chris's number. I'm in the market for a new car. I've had three in the market for a new car. One says, hey, I've had my car at a body shop and I want to take it over there and I want to get a second opinion. And actually, I had somebody that, that had a battery die the other day. I will not reveal his name, Stephen Foshi's battery died the other day at lunch. And we took him out, got a new battery. They had him in and out in no time great customer service the service department if you're in need of a body shop but a newer used car go by and see your friends at cannon ford of Startville. nobody beats a cannon deal nobody and let's go to the phones with the voice of the auburn tigers joins us andy Burcham andy man it's always great to talk with you glad to be with you guys it's uh it's hard to believe at least for auburn that this
1: saturday night ends the regular season in a in a year where a lot of us didn't know if we'd even be playing football. I know it has a game next week, but uh, it's hard to believe we're getting to this point of the season.
2: Yeah, it really is. And Andy, you know, looking back at this season, how crazy it's been. I mean, this game was supposed to be played a month ago. You guys were coming off a win at Ole Miss and then a win at home, a blowout win at home against LSU. You know, we had lost four in a row at that time before, you know, we were scheduled to play you guys. And now, all of a sudden, you know Auburn's kind of limping in. State's playing kind of its best football of the season right now. I mean, what's the what's the general thought? And Charlie and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. This is really the first time that you have games after those rivalry matchups. We're not used to that. We're not used to it. You're not used to it. So, kind of what's the mindset of Auburn playing football after the Alabama game?
1: Well, it was odd last week to be sure, and that's Auburn's second ever home game in the month of December the only other time was the very first Iron Bowl at Auburn back in 1989 so it was just to be playing a home game and and Auburn's looking to turn things around Uh, listen it got beat by a really really good Alabama team you guys know how good that Alabama team is and then Auburn lost a game last week that it feels it should have won had the lead going to the fourth quarter and then Auburn had two straight three and outs after Texas A&M retook the lead And the Tigers never rebounded after that. So Auburn looks to get some momentum going into the bowl season. And now it plays Mississippi State, which is playing its best football of the season coming in. So I think it's going to be fascinating to see how this transpires on Saturday night.
3: Andy, I'm still one of these guys who is kind of married to the version of football that Involve handing it to Bo Jackson or Herschel Walker, seeing guys run the ball. You guys have a running back that's looked awfully impressive as a young guy, Tank Bigsby. What do you see out of him and kind of where do you put him in terms of comparing him to other players you've seen this year?
1: Well, let me put this in perspective. You just mentioned Bo. Bo turned 58 last week.
2: Oh, my. I feel old now. now. That (laughs) That
1: just isn't (laughs) right. How about that?
2: That's not right. Tank Bigsby
1: is a guy that most compare to his position coach, Carnell Williams. I don't know if they're exactly the same in style, but stature, they're about the same. He's a very physical runner. He doesn't go down typically on first contact and has quietly had an outstanding freshman season. Now, let me say this. He has been banged up since the Tennessee game. He suffered a hip pointer early in the tennis game, didn't even play in the second half against the Vols. And played a little bit against Alabama and played a little bit more last week against Texas A m See how healthy he is coming into the game saturday night but but Auburn's biggest question mark, as it has been all season, is up front. the offensive line because it was a brand new offensive line that did not go through spring practice, really didn't practice the the starting five together as a unit until the season started CoVID testing and injuries and that type of thing and and now, that offensive line, I mean, as many as three starters are gone from that offensive line. The left tackle, Alec Jackson, the right tackle, and Brandon uh, Council. And we don't know the the availability of Broderi's ham at right tackle for Auburn. So Auburn's banged up up front. He's been a little bit banged up. So I'll be interested to see what kind of impact he has on the game on Saturday night. He is vital, though. He and the running game are absolutely vital to the Auburn offense.
2: Talking with Andy Burcham, the voice of the Auburn Tigers. Andy, on the defensive side, you know, last week you guys had to guard against, you know, Kellen Mond and kind of an open, wide open attack, and A and M will run it a little bit more, and they'll run it a lot more than Mississippi State. Well, everybody runs it a lot more than we do. But right, look at uh, looking at the Auburn defense last week; they were appeared to be put in situations where they were playing a lot of zone. Coverage against A and M—that's kind of been the Achilles' heel early on against Mississippi State. Is that kind of you know the staple for Auburn to play some zone with their linebacker? Well, they do a little bit. I mean, Kevin Steele's always has been a
1: guy, especially with his corners. He wants to play you some bump and run. You know, he likes to play his the man, especially out at the corners. And Auburn had trouble last week matching up with Anais Smith out of the backfield, who's their leading receiver as far as. or a leading receiver as far as yardage is concerned. And Weidermeyer, their tight end as far as catches are concerned. And both of those guys hurt Auburn a week ago. But the guys, the thing that hurt Auburn last week was the the inability to stop the run. And it didn't matter who the tailback was for Texas A&M. Auburn just did not stop the run. And and A&M dominated the time of possession. And it was tough for Auburn to get the football back. But one of the, the Achilles' heels of this defense all season long is it has been getting the other team off the field on third down. Auburn's last in the league defensively against uh, on on third down, and it was a problem last week. And they're trying to they're trying to solve that problem against this very impressive Mississippi State offense this week uh, uh, to, to, to face the Bulldogs. So uh, Auburn's defense comes in with a lot of question marks, I think, on on Saturday night. And now you face an offense, a type of offense that you haven't seen all season long.
3: It's hard to talk about a football game without talking about the opposing quarterback, Bo Nix, a sophomore, and you know had the start as a freshman. Where do you see him in his development right now, and how do you see him play?
1: I think he has improved this season um, as a quarterback for Auburn. That the games where he turns the ball over, it's been tough for Auburn to overcome. South Carolina comes to mind. Um, Alabama comes to mind. Uh, Auburn did not turn the ball over last week but the Tigers still lost the game. That's the first time all year that Auburn did not have a turnover and yet lost, lost the football game. He has also been flushed out of the pocket quite a bit, has had to do a lot of throwing on the run and not by design. You know, it's not like a simple rollout where he's throwing, he's, he's getting out of the pocket and scrambling or or looking to throw on the run. And that's been a problem for him of late. And so I, I think folks look at, at Bo and say, well, he hadn't improved at all. Well, he, he really has improved this season. He's a better runner this season than he was a year ago. By design, a better runner than he was a year ago. But up front, Auburn has been Auburn has struggled this season, and I think that has affected Bo Nix in his play, and I think it's affected Auburn's run game as well.
2: Talking with Andy Burcham. Andy, before we let you go, I mean we all kind of came across the same path me you charlie everybody in women's basketball but you've also been a part of the, the baseball crew over there for a while now as well and of course you know the uh, the friendships that we have with uh, with Butch Thompson and Greg Dry and all those guys over at auburn just quickly about the baseball team everybody I talked to in the league this year says the same thing we just got so many guys we're just trying to figure out how to get them all some innings
1: no i think it's going to be the same way at auburn well and I you know you look at some of the national folks out there and they're not winning Auburn at all and this is an Auburn team that has a lot of pieces coming back from a year ago it lost Tanner Burns um and and that will be that will be tough to overcome but but from an offensive standpoint other than catcher Auburn returns everybody back from that team that went to the World Series two years ago so uh, folks are really looking forward to the ba- the baseball season here We love, we love Butch Thompson here and Greg dry and and that staff and Tim Hudson and Gabe gross and and all those folks. I hope get a lot of, I hope we get the opportunity to get a lot of folks to come out and watch baseball this spring because football and basketball so far have been bizarre with the, 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 the COVID crowds that we've had. I, I hope maybe by baseball season, they figure something out. We can get some crowds back. If not, It'll be a pretty empty Plainsman Park, and we'll be watching baseball and, and calling baseball again. So looking forward to it in whatever form we get.
2: Uh, no doubt. Uh, Andy, hey, talk about Gabe Rose. You know, Gabe yeah. was a quarterback, I guess, in that uh, 1997 game when State won, and, and, and Gabe was, was a quarterback there. But here's what's funny. Uh, Charlie, I don't know if you know the story or not, but Gabe, a few years ago, if, if you buy a ticket anywhere in the SEC, or anywhere in Division I football, okay? You, you go online and I buy a ticket. You put your email in. If you go to Arkansas, whatever, and they traditionally keep you on the mailing list, okay? Gabe, a couple of years ago, called and says, Bart, I keep getting ticket emails from Miss. I bought a I bought a single game ticket from Mississippi State like seven years ago, and they keep on emailing me every single week. <laughs> so, and, and, and he was like, "You have got to take me off of that." So, what did I do? I called Dry, and I got every email address that Gabe Gross has, and we put him <laughs> on that mailing list.
1: <laughs> well, I'm I'm sure he appreciates that too, Bart. <laughs> Absolutely,
2: Andy. Hey, always great to talk with you.
1: My pleasure, guys. I certainly appreciate the visit.
2: The voice of the Auburn Tigers, Andy Bertram, joining us here on Out of Left Field. Appreciate his thoughts. And the Bulldogs and the Auburn Tigers will do battle at 6.30 on Saturday night at Davis Wade Stadium. Well, when we come back, we'll go back to the folds. We'll talk to Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network. He'll join us next right here on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. Time now for our guest line segment brought to you each week by our friends at Country Pleasin Sausage. Country Pleasing, made on Highway 49 in Florence, Mississippi, a Co- a Cooper's a Country Meat Packers. And so today's interview is with Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network. And let's go to the phones where Ian Rappaport with the NFL Network is an insider. You can follow him on Twitter at RapSheet. And Ian's on uh, the NFL Network's NFL Game Day Morning, eight o'clock every Sunday. Used to be a Clarion Ledger beat writer here in the state of Mississippi for Mississippi State, two thousand four to two thousand six. Ian, first of all, hey man, welcome to the show. Good to talk with you. But man, where you been over the last fifteen years to get to where you are now?
0: <laughs> man, I've been uh, I've been a lot of places. I've been a lot of places. So let's see. So Mississippi. Uh, for two years, which was amazing. I still talk to Sly Kroom every once in a while. What a great guy. I uh, will probably never forget that experience. There, And I still, I still come and visit Mississippi whenever my schedule allows, just to go hang with my wife's family and all that. Three years in Alabama, covering University of Alabama for the Birmingham News. Three years in Boston to cover the Patriots. And then NFL Network called Out of the Blue uh, and wanted to hire me and move me to Dallas. And that was and that was basically it. So three years in Dallas and then moved to New York. It has been an unbelievably wild, you know, fifteen years or so. One that I can honestly say I never expected, but it has been a lot of fun.
3: Well, you bring up Dallas, and that's a good place to start when it comes to Mississippi State players in the NFL. Obviously, we've converted a lot of Saints fans over here to Cowboys I, fans over the I past noticed two years. That. It's,
0: that has been an absolutely stunning development. How many Cowboys fans are in Mississippi? I I cannot say that I saw that coming, but starting quarterback, especially a guy like Dak, will do that for you.
3: Yeah, it kind of helps. I'm curious, obviously, when Dak went down with the injury, a lot of people said, boy, that's going to hurt him with his contract. I think many would argue now that with the play of the Dallas Cowboys since Dak left, his stock has only gone up. Where do you see Dak in terms of contract talks with the Cowboys and the outlook of him in Dallas?
0: Well, first of all, you're right about that. I mean, it is every time the Cowboys go out there and are terrible, it raises Dak's stock. Now, I mean, his stock was high anyway. I mean, I think he's gonna he's gonna be very rich and you know, I, I I don't I think he's gonna be fine, but to see the team literally collapse without him out there has been really incredible to watch. Um, you know, it's interesting because when, when the injury first happened, the immediate reaction was like, Oh man, he's not gonna get paid. But I don't think that's the case. I mean, to me, it probably just means he's not going to get paid until maybe July, which is all right, because, you know, that was kind of the way it's going to work anyway. Right. I mean, he'll probably get tagged a second time. I imagine that'll be the case. And then they'll wait until they have like real good answers on his rehab. He should make a full recovery on his ankle. It was a bad injury, but it wasn't one that's going to limit him at all going forward. So my guess is they end up doing a deal right around July during the franchise tag time. And that'll be it. If he does a deal, oh now if he doesn't do a deal, then he heads into free agency and then it will really get paid. So either way, I think Dak is going to be fine.
2: Talking with Ian Rappaport of the NFL network, Ian, staying with Mississippi State players, and just off the top of my head right here, and I'm probably going to miss somebody, you've got a Fletcher Cox, you've got Chris Mm -hmm. Jones, you've got Jeffrey Simmons, you've got Preston Smith, you've got, who am I missing, Charlie, Montez Sweat. I mean, you start talking about defensive line guys, and not to put you on the spot, but, but I can't think of anybody else in the country that could boast that style of player, front-line type, defensive-line players other than Mississippi State. Am I wrong on that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know about it compared to other schools because I might be a little biased because I tend to pay more attention to the state guys probably than a lot of people. But, I mean, that is – you know, in the NFL, it almost feels like everything is about money, right? So put those contracts together and what would you come up with? I mean, Chris Jones, just a massive contract. Fletcher Cox, almost $100 million. Montez Sweat is going to get paid, paid, you know, hugely when, when he gets his deal. I mean, that's Simmons obviously is, I mean, has been just a revelation for the Tennessee Titans. I mean, that's a lot of, that's a lot of money. And I think one thing about Mississippi state guys, you know, I talked to obviously a lot of scouts and general managers and, you know, Mississippi state players have a really pretty good history of coming to the pros and being guys who are one ready to play, and two, guys who work incredibly hard. Like Fletcher Cox, you know, with defensive tackles, a lot of times it's like, oh, what's the effort going to be? You know, what kind of player am I getting? Fletcher Cox, you don't have any of those concerns. You know that he is going to be an effort guy, right? So I think that's generally the sort of consensus with, with the Mississippi State guys, and it is something I would say really across the board.
3: Talk about guys who are going to be paid one day. or There's a guy up in Green Bay, Elston Jenkins. My goodness, that guy's played everywhere along the offensive line. I know he's got a little more time on that uh, rookie deal, but well, that's a guy setting up to get paid as well.
0: Yeah, he sure is. And I think, you know, versatility is something that every NFL team, you know, they, they embrace. And Jenkins, I think, he's played every position. And that's what's so interesting. I mean, and it's not like, you know, you can throw a guy in there and have him stand at left tackle. I mean, that's not that exciting. The weird thing with him is, he's been very good when he's played all those different positions. So like you try to figure out the value. I don't even know what he's going to end up making because you know, how do you put a value on a guy who can literally just play anywhere? I don't know. I mean, that's what's, that's really interesting. He is certainly a great player and really a great find for Green Bay Packers.
2: Talking with Ian Rappaport, the NFL network. You can hear Ian every Sunday morning on NFL game day morning at eight o'clock on the NFL network and, Ian, uh, when you start thinking about defensive secondary, you know Darius Slay, Cam Dantzler, who's a fresh, who's a
0: Cam he's Dantzler, done a really nice job, yeah Cam, yeah,
2: Cam Dantzler, who is a rookie with with the Vikings. I mean, you've got some guys in the secondary as well. From from that standpoint, I mean, a a guy like Darius Slay and a guy like you know Cam Dantzler, what are, what are you seeing here none of those guys?
0: Well, I think for Slay, first of all, you know he he has. Uh, He's done what what I think everybody wants to do, which is he's been you know he's been on some good teams. Obviously, this year is not a very good Eagles team, but he's also gotten paid. I mean, it's, at one point he was the highest paid corner in the NFL. He got a third contract, which is very hard to do. And he you know he he's done exactly what you know any corner I think would want coming in the NFL. And I think for Cam Dansler, you know a guy who wasn't highly touted, I think there were some questions about like how fast is he really. And then he's come. And so the Vikings kind of got him on the chief. I think he was undrafted, if I remember correctly. And he's come in and really held his own in a tough division where, I mean, you know, he's out there covering Green Bay Packers receivers. I mean, that is what he's done is really impressive. Um, I am not sure what the Vikings were expecting of him, but what they've gotten has been, you know, really, uh, really substantial.
2: And the guy I forgot about was Jonathan Abram. I mean, you know the the Raiders have to be excited about what they see out of him.
0: Yeah, and I think with Abram, you know, you get a, you get a good football player. He's tough and physical. He's all over the place, and I think you know he's so exciting and excitable. I think the main thing for him is just kind of keeping keeping his head on straight and keeping uh, not in a bad way, but just he gets so excited and he likes it so much. You know, I mean, that's one thing that kind of keep that would sort of keep him motivated there. The other thing is he is a really good leader. So, like, he is a guy who, you know, it's nice that he plays well himself, but he's also a kind of guy who can help his teammates play well. Um, just a really good tone setter for that Raiders defense. Another guy who, you know, was drafted very highly and has been exactly what they thought.
2: Hey, Abram stopped a spring game down here one time. A little pass outside, he, he popped a guy, and, they, and and Dan Mullen was like, all right, we're done. We're done here. We're, 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 that's we, it? Really? We, I have we, not heard that. Okay, that's a good story for off the air.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: I've never it.
3: seen a – he didn't just uh, eject a player for targeting. He threw the whole team back to the locker room <laughs> called it a day. Um, that's pretty great. So, I'm interested. The draft experience this year was unique, at least in its format. And now we come into this year where players have extra years of eligibility, where players have the ability to opt out. I'm curious, as you look forward to the draft for next year, we've seen these guys, some opted out at the beginning of the year, some have kind of opted out in the middle of the year, and even Mm -hmm. now late in the season you're seeing guys say, I've had enough. What are you hearing from NFL teams about how that will be evaluated when they consider players and their future in the NFL? Well,
0: it's going to be one of the you know most wild cards of a draft situation that you, you could imagine because you have – you know usually the draft is not easy. It's always hard, but it's at least a level playing field. You say, I could compare apples to apples. These guys all played these same teams. Here's them looking at on a tape. You know, Here's kind of what you get. Now, I like that this year. You have guys who opted out midway through the year. You have guys who opted out beforehand the guys who played all the way through, you have some guys who, you you know, a quarterback in Trey Lance who played one game, guys are going to have to evaluate one game, that's it, you know, so it is, it's just, it, it really tests you as a scout to see, like, what do you actually know, and how much can you prove about how good some of these guys are, and, you know, I think the playing in a pandemic is something that challenges everyone, really doing anything in a pandemic challenges all of us, but I think it's challenging for scouts too. It can really set them apart because how to figure out who the good players are in in this situation is, man, it is difficult, no doubt about it.
3: Ian, you bring up something interesting talking about scouts. If you talk to scouts in Major League Baseball, a lot of those guys are almost demoralized in some ways because they feel like really all they're doing is reading a computer screen, the way analytics have just taken over scouting in baseball. Is there a corollary to that in football scouting or is it still more about old football guys going and watching games and getting a feel for guys?
0: Yeah, I think in football it's more more tape. I mean you can have, you know, teams to look for certain measurables like all right, if I'm gonna you know if I'm gonna sign an outside linebacker, I'm gonna draft an outside linebacker, it has to be six three, cannot be six one. Whatever it is. You know, but um, and I, I do think you get situations where guys are almost scouted or put on somewhat of a level playing field by their numbers, but it's not like baseball because there's so much, I mean, you can get so much off the tape, off body type and what a guy looks like and leadership and how he reacts. And I mean, it's just, you know, analytics are important. I think when it comes to in-game decisions, but I don't get the sense taking over scouting like it has in baseball.
2: Talking with Ian Rappaport, Ian, before we let you go, you know, last year, in the month of January, we hired a, a football coach by the name of Mike Leach. And what was, I heard about that. <laughs> what was the thought process from, from guys around the country that, that you talk with? And I know uh, a lot of people know that you have a tie to the state of Mississippi and mm-hmm. Mississippi State. What was the general consensus? Was it, I cannot believe Mike Leach is going to start with Mississippi?
0: I think it was, it was definitely intrigue. I mean, a lot of people talked about, you know, leach and lane. I think that's probably kind of fun, um, as I'm sure it is for you guys. But I, I think one, it was can it work? Because that's been kind of the big question. I know when I covered state, I mean, you know, there were well, actually, it was when I had just left to go cover Alabama before Dan Mullen. You know, there were all these Mike Leach rumors. There were always Mike Leach rumors in Starkville for whatever reason, and it was really just can the offense work? You know, or all you know, SEC defensive linemen just too good. Can you not single block these guys? Like you need to like, there's definitely a curiosity. Like, can it work? And the other thing is like, why did it take so long? You know, like this is a marriage that probably should have happened. I personally think it's going to be successful. It's hard to transform a program like he's trying to do. So the first year is always a little rough, but I think next year is going to be a lot better. And I just think most people were just intrigued and like, okay, that one's going to be fun watching. And then the other thing is it makes, Mississippi State quarterbacks, at least to the NFL, a little more interesting because you know those guys are going to put up numbers.
2: Ian, we interviewed Mike Leach last week, and this is just kind of off the cuff. I mean, we we talked to him last week, and, and we were talking about the CIA, and he was talking about the new Henry Crumpton book about, you know, about counterintelligence and clandestine. But it made me think about it. I'm reading that book right now. But doing what you do, working with the NFL Network, and they start talking about having sources and getting sources and about how trust is the biggest thing. For a young guy jumping into doing what you do, and rarely, and I'm not saying it's just because you're on the phone with us. I'll, I'll talk bad about you when we hang up. But no, of the, course. The thing, the thing that always strikes me by, about you is, is you have good sources and you're very rarely wrong. How tough was it as a young guy coming in to getting that trust, to get all the sources that you have?
0: It was something that consumed every second of my day for my entire life. I mean, just it was all-consuming. It took several years. I would say two years to probably meet the people I needed to meet, probably three more years two or three more years to get on a level playing field where I could break news on a national level. And then, you know, the rest of the time to just kind of do what I do, but it, it takes a long time. And I think the main thing is you got to get people to trust you. You have to care about what you do and you can't be dying to report everything. And I think that's one thing that changed a lot was at the beginning you want to report every scoop you have, but that's not always best long term and I think if you're trying to gain trust in sources that's not always something that helps you know holding back the little things sometimes ends up getting you the bigger things and then the other thing is you know the people who are your sources you have to sort of give something to them too you have to be a value to them there has to be a reason they will give it to you over someone else so all these things kind of kind of come into it but man it, it was certainly a very long process to get to this point
2: Ian Good stuff as always, man. Great to talk with you. Absolutely, man.
0: Thanks for having me. Talk soon.
2: Yes, sir. And that's Ian Rappaport with the NFL Network. Boy, good stuff from Ian talking about Mississippi State guys, talking about getting that scoop. i tell you what, when you start talking about people in the NFL, Mississippi State really can't take a back seat to anybody, Charlie. When you start looking at the guys that play on Sunday, there's some big timers out
3: there. Yeah, there's some who are still going to get paid a lot of money. We've seen guys set some – Record setting deals. Well, there's still some records to come. I can't wait to see what Jeff Simmons is going to get paid.
2: No doubt. In that interview brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage, Country Pleasing. Built uh, built for excellence. You talk about all these Mississippi State players built for excellence. Country pleasing built for excellence as well. It's building me for excellence as well, Charlie, because because I eat it just about every morning for breakfast. So does Matt Wyatt, and it's produced at Country Meat Packers on Highway 49 in Florence, and Country Pleasing sausage. I get a text almost daily from listeners and people saying, "Hey, I'm trying it. What do you suggest?" Hey, I'm, I'm grilling out this weekend. What would you do here? It's amazing how that the, this is really kind of the, the thing to eat as far as sausage. I mean, you look around the country, and it's almost like people have points of pride on things that they put on the grill, and it's becoming a point of pride for Mississippi State people and the people of the state of Mississippi to put country-pleasing on the grill whenever they put a steak on the grill or every time they do something outside.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. It's a staple at my house. My mother, by the way, is known for making very good red beans and rice, and she called me excited the other day because instead of her usual sausage, she had used the jalapeno and cheddar oh, wow. country-pleasing, and uh, she's uh, she's already claiming trophies. In red beans and rice. Yeah, she's she's already calling her shots now. She's saying she's, she's going to the top now that she's got the jalapeno and cheddar.
2: That's what I'm talking about. And uh, Ian was great as well, Ian Rappaport, and that interview once again brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Charlie and I will come right back. You're listening to Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. Welcome back. Final segment of Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. Check them out at favorites.com. Boy, good conversation right there with uh, Ian Rappaport. Boy, Ian, got to get those sources. He's done a great job. I'm proud of Ian. I mean, he is a good voice and, and a guy that cares about Mississippi State. I showed him the baseball stadium a couple of years ago when he came back down, and it was good to see he and his family. And so big weekend this weekend, Charlie. State got two games left, both at home.
3: Need to win one.
2: Auburn Tigers on Saturday night. Yeah, Andy provided some uh, – some thoughts about Auburn you know Bo Nix has run it a little bit better this year but but Charlie here's the thing and when I think of Bo Nix this year I mean he has really struggled at throwing the ball down the field he's going to be completely different style than what we saw against Ole Miss a couple of weeks ago
3: yeah a lot of the criticism of Nix is that he throws too many passes behind the line of scrimmage and within 10 yards and I think you sent me a message during their game against Texas A&M, what was it, like 36 passes all year?
2: Well, be, 30, no, he was completing 36% on balls thrown over 10
3: yards. And he, and then you, you can see the effects of that because you go back last week, he only completed two beyond uh, 10 yards down the field, and most of those throws were behind the line of scrimmage. And so not a dynamic downfield passing offense in Auburn. And then Andy kind of pointed it out too. Look, part of throwing it down the field is having time to throw it down the field, and he just hasn't had that. Their offensive line play has just not been very good.
2: Okay, two things you do there. One is, you know, Zach Ornette did a great job against Matt Corral, kind of made him uncomfortable, brought the house a couple of times, got burned a couple of times deep. But this is going to be a different style. If if Auburn is more you know comfortable throwing those underneath routes, so far this year, here, here's one thing you have to say, about a Sean Preston, about an Emmanuel Forbes or Martin Emerson, and the guys on the outside and even in the inside. We have not really given up many slip screens or short passes that have gone deep this year. Our, our big plays that we've given up have been deep through the air. Catching and running, our guys have been pretty good at tackling.
3: Well, and they're going to have to be this weekend if we're going to beat Auburn because you go look at the pass selection, that's where they're throwing the football a lot of those – Slip screens, a lot of quick outs, a lot of passes outside the hashes and within that behind the line of scrimmage to 10 yards down the field range. Just don't throw it much beyond that. At least they have it. Now, throughout the season, when Nix has thrown long and had success, it's been deep middle. So what do you think there? Safety, right? So if you're going to have to play well in the secondary, you're going to need your safeties. Because, look, what happens – when you start seeing those balls behind the line of scrimmage and those short passes, people start wanting to come up. You're going to have to have some discipline in the deep middle. Take a look back at Auburn's season, okay? They,
2: they won their season opener at home 29-13 to against Kentucky. And Kentucky at that time was ranked in the top 25. It's amazing to see preseason polls and how everything kind of shakes out at the end. They beat Kentucky 29-13 had a very, you know, interesting call there at the end of the first half, had a pick six. You know, Kentucky thought they were in the end zone. Second week, so they won that game twenty nine thirteen. On week two, they go to Georgia. And then in week three, they come back home against Arkansas. And it was almost like that game two against Georgia kinda opened them up a little bit. Of course Arkansas had just beaten us. You were kinda wondering if that was a fluke. And then Arkansas goes down there and should have beat Auburn as Auburn kicked the field goal at the end and won 30-28. Then in week four, they go to South Carolina and lose 30-22, to turned it over a bunch. You heard Andy say that a moment ago. Then probably won another game they shouldn't have won, and that was at Ole Miss. You Remember the fumble, the ball goes in the end zone. So they beat Ole Miss 35-28. They beat LSU at home 48-11. And then that's when we had our game postponed. They beat Tennessee 30-17, to and then back-to-back losses against Bama and A&M, 42-13 to Bama, and then last week, 31-20 loss at home against Texas A&M. So looking at Auburn, I mean, I hate to say it like this, they're 5-4, but they could be 3-6 and six in a heartbeat.
3: It's interesting because you can look at some of their losses, take last week and say the loss wasn't terrible, you played a good team competitively. Then you look at some of their wins and say that win wasn't that good. There's two of them that really shouldn't be on there. And you go back to that Kentucky game, there were some things that went their way with some calls in that game as well. So it's going to be interesting to see. I think the thing that's going to be a little different for Mississippi State, defensively, you're going to have to go back. It's one of those games where you're going to have to stop the run. I think that's where it starts with Auburn. And if you can control the line of scrimmage, think back to kind of like Georgia. Yeah. You know, we took away the run against Georgia and forced them to throw it. I think that's where we want to be in this ball game.
2: Will Rogers has gotten a lot better. It oh, seem, yeah. And, just, and I know nothing, okay? I know nothing. But just kind of on the outside looking in, it seems as if the locker room is better. It seems as if the vibe around the team is better. I don't know what you attribute that to. I don't know. Maybe it's because you're playing better against Georgia, playing better against Ole Miss, but you just kind of get the vibe.
3: Can but, I say it? Addition by subtraction?
2: Well, I mean, you did, and here's – I'll say this too, Charlie. I mean, Joe Moorhead's a good guy. I like Joe Moorhead a lot. I thought a lot of his family, they were good people. They were great to have around Starkville.
3: Well, it's the classic lead-up to the word.
2: But. but, man, I tell you what, I mean, there was, there was not a whole lot of discipline in that program. And to be honest with you, that was probably, you know, the downfall. And so you ask yourself the question, you've got a guy like a Mike Leach – Who's an old school type football coach, and sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it sometimes it takes a while before everybody, you know, gets going in the same direction. And it just kind of seems like over the last month, you've got guys that are kind of pulling in the right
3: direction. Well, and if you talk to guys, they're even though they've had some losses, they've been excited, they've been ready to come back and play. So right, I'm curious, Bart. You look at this ball game this weekend. If we are sitting down for Sunday coffee and we're to looking back and we've won this ball game, what is going to have been the story? Why did we win?
2: We won the ball game because we stopped the run. And no ifs, ands, and buts about it. Here's the thing about looking back at the Georgia game we beat Georgia if Stetson Bennett's the quarterback. I mean, JT Daniels had a game where he threw balls that were perfect, absolutely perfect. You look back at the Ole Miss game, that was a game we feel like, hey, we could have won. We should have won, to be honest with you. We had a couple of plays that didn't go our way, a couple of plays that went Ole Miss's way. This is a game where if you force Auburn into being one-dimensional, now I think their running backs are better than Georgia. I do. I don't know if their offensive line is better than Georgia. So the whole question becomes is how do you do tackling at the line of scrimmage, not letting Tank Bixby get – Yards 5, 6, and 7 after he's hit at yard 3.
3: Well, and I think that's what I was going to say. I think stopping the run would be the story, and paramount within that is that you tackled well. Bigsby is a guy who gets about 60% of his yards after contact. In fact, I was listening to their broadcast this past weekend, and it was if Bigsby is in the game, that tackle doesn't get made. He will run through arm tackles. Good news for us is we've done a pretty good job defending the run, and we've done a pretty good job tackling the throughout this season. So I think you're going to have to see that again. By the way, interesting note on Bixby. I was looking at the numbers. About 65% of his runs are to the right side. What's that mean? I don't know. They like to run it to the right. They must like somebody over there on that right side. Well, and go go back, what did Andy Burcham tell us? They don't know if their right tackle is going to be available this weekend.
2: I would be remiss if I didn't bring up this stat because I brought it up all year. And I haven't talked about it in the Sunday Coffee yet. I can't believe I didn't bring it up against Ole Miss. What have I harped on all season long about our quarterbacks and Will Rogers? It's about yards per completion. And I know that may just be a stat that I just love to drill home, okay? But what was the stat for Will Rogers in the first few games that he came in? Costello toward the end, Will Rogers starting, we were getting about six yards of completion so much underneath. I mean, we were completing 40 you know, passes a game, but you were only, <laughs> only getting 250, okay? You look back at the Ole Miss game. He completed 45 balls for 440 yards. What did we say was the magic number? What have we said all season long is the magic number? Ten yards of completion. That's what it was at Washington State. That's what made Luke Falk good. If you look back at what Will Rogers was able to do against Georgia, 41 for 336. It was about eight and a half. Now you're about nine and a half, ten yards. You're finally beginning to see that yards per completion bump up to about ten. If if you can hover at about you know nine and a half to eleven and a half in this style of offense, in yards per completion, you're going to be good. And I think that's one of the things we're seeing. We're taking the deep ball a little bit more. We're going to that extra level and not just settling for things underneath.
3: Well, and you go back to look at that kind of what I will call the intermediate range, that eleven to twenty. go back to that ball game. He was 8 of 13. Yeah. I can live with that. Yes, sir. I can live with that. When you're throwing the ball, that's a target that many yards downfield. So that's not many yards per completion. That's balls traveling in the air, 11 to 20 yards downfield, 8 of 13. Sign me up. So Mississippi State and
2: Auburn, 6.30 starts Saturday night at Davis Wade Stadium. Last two games of the year, both of those games at home. Missouri game time has been set. They'll play at 2.30 against Missouri next Saturday on the 19th. Good show today, Charlie. Enjoyed it. Andy Burcham, and then you had Ian Rappaport. Great guys in the industry, and uh, a lot of things learned from those guys. And so look forward to hearing from you guys on Sunday. We'll talk about the Mississippi State and Auburn and our Sunday coffee. Hey, before we go, our group put together another show, and it's state style, presented by Bank First. Hey, I'm looking forward to hearing Brock Turnipseed and Robbie Falk. Both of those guys really know the industry. They know sports, and so I'm looking forward to hearing those guys.
3: Yeah, it's going to be good to have some guys who have been around basketball. Brock Turnipseed, look, he was the media relations director for women's basketball throughout the entire Vic Schaefer run right up to the end. He's got a lot of perspective on that program. It'll be interesting to hear from them.
2: And Robbie is getting some inroads in the sports media world as well and does a great job beginning to do some broadcast did a lot of start with high school football toward the end of the year so anyway brock and robbie on state style make sure you go over to itunes and subscribe to their show it will be outstanding so for charlie winfield i'm bark gregory appreciate our sponsors farm bureau go with the home team country pleasing sausage and canon ford of starwood you've been listening to out of left field presented by farm bureau